Good morning, Smarchy. Good morning, Willie. Morning. Michael Wayne Capron. We, we got Good morning, y'all. We got Pop. Hello, Pat. We got my, my adopted Pop on here. My adopted too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh we were we were going through the Rolo decks this week, Schwartzy, and what are we gonna do and who are we gonna pick on? And we've been pretty heavy the last several weeks, right? With Low and Mike and of course we had Did Young on there and got into cold showers and that was heavy. But <laughs> you take cold showers, Pop? Uh basically this time of year if it if I take a shower it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were in, we were in if i take a shower yeah we were in midland uh it was in february this time of year and, and uh i got up in the living room mom and pop were living with me there and i said i'm gonna go take a shower pop said in february I said yeah in february pop. <laughs> <laughs> he's got me taking cold showers now pop Schwartzy does because it's supposed to be good for you and i don't all I know is it doesn't take as much heat in the house anymore after you get out of that cold shower. It's a lot warmer in the house than it used to be. You're, you're getting tougher. It makes you tough to conjure up that willpower to, to take that step in there and stuff. So, so just think about this is making me tough. But it's making me something. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Well, Bob, we... We uh, we we last time we had you, we talked all about you and art and all kinds of cool stuff, and we're all gonna talk about anything this time too. But I grew up listening to cowboy stories, living the cowboy life with you, and all that, and that's been a big part of your art journey. Would you? And and you know what, Shorty, I'm gonna back up just a little bit. I got one something to say that I think okay. it'll, it'll stir up it'll stir up some stories, but. Pop Carey asked the question a while back. Do you have do you have to be cowboy? Do you have to do you have to ride a horse in order to do the things that we do? To tell the stories that we do. To right, Schwartzy, how'd you what was the exact verbiage that you said? Should cowboy be in on your resume if you're gonna become a cowboy craftsman? Or in this case, cowboy artist. Do you think cowboy needs to be in that resume? Are you asking me? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a very good question, and I have dealt with it for sixty years, and um, it. Uh, I must say, I don't care how you get it done. You just have to pass the test to convince your viewer you know what you're talking about and know what you're painting. You can get it from personal experience. You can get it from reading. You can get it from watching movies. You can get it somehow, but you had better know what your what your uh, subject is before you convince somebody you know what you're talking about. So, so yesterday that is an the, awesome answer. Yeah, and it's all about authenticity and credibility, right? I mean, uh, you don't have to you don't you don't have to be a cowboy, but you better know your subject matter if you're going to tell the story, right? So, so I think. Yeah, go ahead. I just gonna say I think that one of the greatest examples of that is Charlie Russell, who is one of our all of us's great mentors, who was one of the first to to jump off and 
and try and portray the cowboy in his art. And he will tell you first, I, I am not a great cowboy. I'm not a great cowboy, but he lived next to him and he, he understood him and he basically, um, didn't wash him, but he was around him constantly. And he loved the life and the people and he could portray it better than anybody because his love for that subject was so great that he picked up every piece of detail. Well, I was yesterday, a man from Australia come to see me and, and uh, his name's Wade frame. We ate lunch in the house and him and Eli and I, and as we were leaving, we got all the, the paintings in the living room, you know, and the, your pen and ink drawings and stuff around the house. And, and Wade was really eyeballing them and, and uh, scrutinize them as we were leaving. And as we were walking back to the shop, he said, it's obvious when a man has done it, when a man has lived that lifestyle, he can portray things that nobody else can. Those were Wade's words, but it, it as you know, I mean, it, it came back to you knowing your subject matter. And he said, there's little details in those drawings that I, that I don't see other people do. And, and uh, Wade works in the oil field now and all that, but he grew up on the ranches of Australia and doing things, which is way different than our world, I'm sure. But but the man, the horse, and the cow, you know, all trying to do the same thing, get in the pen and go to market is, is the end of, you know, the ultimate deal. And, and uh, Wade was impressed, you know, that, and he'd seen it all before. He'd seen all that uh, artwork, but he was just reiterating how you actually knew your subject matter, Pop, was just what we're talking expression. about yeah expression mm -hmm. is without a doubt more important than detail mm -hmm. and animals people um have that expression of the moment and and if you've got that then it works and if you don't uh people will pass it over and not pay attention to it and it's just amazing how natural that is to really look at something correct and beautiful. So we're getting off into art and getting deep here real quick. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're not going to be light. Don't, don't worry. I'm going to make it a little deeper here. Uh, isn't that one of the main things of, of gesture drawing is, is, is expression. You're very much. So if you have, that's the most important thing when you start a drawing is that you have to portray the idea of what you're wanting to e exploit, so to speak. And so you get that immediate expression with the dance, with the feeling of the pencil on the paper that tells you he's riding a bucking horse. He ain't sitting up there, just accidentally fell on him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you, you said a lot right there, Mike. I think, I think it's easy to, and everything we do that comes down to context, you know, your context is a bucking horse and well, there better be movement there. There better be expression because there sure is when you're in real life, there is, That's it's not a, a bucking horse is not a posed deal. What amazes me is how Charlie was able to, he had to have a photographic memory because he didn't have the benefit of photographs like we do now it's just amazing that he was able to get all the anatomy and that movement that expression the way he did that is a good point carrie and i really 
want you to know that through the years I have basically, I don't know about the word studied, but I have tried to figure out how to get that information and retain it without a camera because mm-hmm. there is nothing better than our mental imagery of how we remember things and the excitement of remembering a good story or a good painting or something of this nature. And through the years, uh, and Nicolaides and a few other men have expressed to me how we all have that department of how to uh, remember information. And it's much like, um, we all were taught it in school because we all learn the alphabet. We all learn to sign our name. We all learn how to sign a check. And that is the same thing as trying to remember how a horse looks when he's bucking. It's information that you have to retain. And you remember that in a department that you have enhanced. It's just that we don't, and we don't further enhance it in school, but you can in your life spend time exercising those muscles in that department and you become very efficient at retaining information. You can look at something, we call it photographic imagery or photographic memory. And and you can remember something and go put it on paper and it's practice. And that's all it is. Mm -hmm. And Charlie Russell was certainly one of our favorites and the best in that department of cowboy and Montana and, outdoors and and he he spent lots of days outside the house on the haystack watching and looking at square butte and places in montana later and so that is how he practiced it he did it in a very um natural way if you want to talk call it that way but uh his joy of his past is that you can go back and look through all of his drawings and see how he enhanced lots of his memories from early on and they got better and better and better you know I, well, you pr- you probably know uh you, you know the whole story it was joe d young and yes. uh, you probably i'm sure you got the book that bill reynolds wrote about yes. joe joe d young and i was i was really interested in there he talks about uh joe d young using gesture drawing as a technique and yep. where could he have learned about that had to been Nicolaitis had to been was teaching at that time so it'd be in the 20s and 1920s I just thought was, that was really fascinating well amazing Nicolaitis he brought it up from the renaissance and Michelangelo <laughs> and all of them used this same theory um, and the, the renaissance is the first period I'm aware of but when you look at Michelangelo and how he studied his art with the cadavers and then created David in marble and the Pieta in marble is just truly overwhelming to me because it is exactly memory drawing, gesture mm-hmm. drawing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got to where he could do it in marble. Well, his mm-hmm. was a finished drawing, of course. But that is the same process of much like we learn how to sign a check in school. We learn to sign our name, and then all of a sudden we can sign a check and nobody else's signature looks like ours. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got a an idea as I've been diving deeper and deeper into this gesture drawing concept and stuff. I I think what it does, what it's given me, 
is the ability to um, see things and envision things in 3D hmm. instead of 2D, instead of just 2D. I think it, I can see it helps me envision, well, you got this bucking horse. What's that other leg doing? What's going on on the other side of this horse? It, it's helping me envision all of that stuff. When you start splattering information down on paper, you, and the same way, of course, with flowers and leaves and stuff, because my what I've said for, for years is a three-dimensional quality in what Wilson does with his, his decoration and what I do in leather, if you can, if you can capture a three-dimensional quality, you have crossed a threshold into a greater interest in your art. And that gesture drawing, I think, has helped a lot with that. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, in three, the the third dimension is really difficult for me to think mechanically. To think uh, in dimension is has really been difficult. So, like sculpting other leaves, that's been one of the hardest things that that I've ever had to do. It's taught me more about leaf anatomy than anything, though, um, by doing that. And and uh, and so it's it's just more information that you have to have in order to be able to think like that and. If you go back to the gesture and not worried about the perfect line, just getting information down so that your mind can start to see it. And you, and you, it, it just makes complete sense to me. I don't do it a lot, but, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I guess you kind of do like in the book in the Kaiman's book, you know, you're, you're drawing in circles and wriggles when you're drawing the human figure and all that. And uh, yeah, it's just information gathered. Drawing the rose is still the booger bear for me. A good I, think, I think one of the most important uh, steps is the pre-step to gesture drawing. And I think that is the passion that God gave us to express ourselves either audio or visually. And once we make that commitment to learn how to express that passion that God gave us, whether it's drawing or music or audio or whatever it is, if you, if you, accept that as a as a exercise and labor of learning how to express yourself then gesture drawing and all the other things that are fundamentals of audio and and uh, visual arts come to pass and that's where we have to practice those before we get good enough to do the final drawings and uh and this is where if you don't have it's just uh, what do they say about it's just work you have to do it and it's exercise and it's fundamentals better enjoy that work too huh or it's going to be work yeah yeah well it just, yeah because um i had a great conversation with a young man yesterday who showed up at my house running the perimeter of the u.s Damn. and Damn. i said i said and he had left Indiana, October 10th, he run, <laughs> he run to Buffalo, New York, went to Maine, went down the East coast, went to Key West, came back up the Gulf of Mexico, crossed Texas and showed up at my house yesterday, day before yesterday. <laughs> and I said, why, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Haven't you heard 
we have automobiles now. <laughs> and uh, and he had the most simple expression, exp explanation. And it, and I thought, you know, he's worse than I am, but the same as I am. He said it, it was a God-given passion. He said, I just wanted to run. He said, I said, you were brothers to Forrest Gump. I was just going to say, was his name Forrest Gump? Yeah. Well, you can't believe how many connections came up in that uh, ideal of the story of Forrest Gump. And he had a cap on. And I looked at his cap and I said, holy cow, it said Bubba Gump Shrimp. <laughs> did it really? Yeah, he really did. Oh. And, I, and I said, wow. And he, he can, now let me tell you what, he has studied this art of running. He can do seven miles an hour for six hours and he does 40 miles a day. Wow. And, That's a lot of miles. <laughs> yeah. And he burns 12,000 calories a day. Well, he can eat, can he? And he really, really, uh, of course, I ought to send you a picture uh, of he, he lives that. That's his passion. And he does a good job of it. And, but he works at it, of course. And uh, I just really enjoyed the visit because I said, you know, I've been right behind him or right ahead of him my whole life. <laughs> well, yeah, not running, doing, though. <laughs> well, not running, but doing stupid things, you know. <laughs> so, and, 40, miles, 40 miles a day, he's going to have a few days out under some culverts after he got to your house because the next stops, well, it's 90 to Fort Stockton. Well, uh, you stay with y'all. He spent the night with us, and I want you to know, Mama couldn't cook enough for him. No, I bet not. <laughs> he ate everything that she fixed, and, and she can cook, and yeah. she don't mind feeding. Uh, she don't mind feeding the working crew, and she got in there and did meat, beans, and potatoes until he he and he filled <laughs> his plate twice that night and twice the next morning. And he said, can I take the rest of this with me? <laughs> he, said, he said, this is the best, this is the best cooking I've had since I left home. <laughs> and, uh, and he, we said, yes, sir. So he, he packed up the meat, beans and potatoes and put them in. I said, would you like to take my little prized possession of this orange marmalade that mama made with these biscuits? And he said, oh yeah, please. Can I? <laughs> so, <laughs> so was he by himself? Up. Yes. Yes. By himself. And then, How did he pack all his food and stuff? That's what I was wondering. He has a neatest little buggy. He straps around his waist and pulls it behind him. Oh. Just a little. Uh, yeah, what do they call them? Mm -hmm. Little buggy. A, a little two wheel. He he's between yeah. the shivs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it works like a charm. And. Um, he, the only hell he had was when he hit this country. The goat heads were sure hard on his buggy tires. He had lots <laughs> of flat tires. He wasn't used to the goat heads and the mesquite thorns. And he had to run down the, you know, he kind of, of course, he, he he got off the highway, but he 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 really had a, he had a lot of ways. Of, I mean, he had it figured out on how he could manage to get it done. So did he come down Sheffield Hill, that little buggy pushing him in the butt? 
Okay, well, good, good <laughs> point. I, I had, do you know Wheelis Baker, mm -mm. Sonora? Mm -mm. You know, okay, well, she's the one that contacted me and told me, said, you got to go check on this kid because he's coming to your way. And <laughs> I said, okay. And so um, he had a, he has all the technology available to a running man. And it was really amazing. He could measure calories and miles and all kinds of information that, that my car won't register. But, uh, but anyway, he, he had his, uh, what do they call it? Uh, his waypoint. Mm -hmm. And he sent, sent me his waypoint. And I said, I'm going to come check on you. And he said, good. And, uh, I said, I got supper planned and, and a bed planned, and I want to visit with you a minute. He said, no problem here. Um, and he was at Howard draw roads where he was. Well, and so you, I went and on the interstate he, left, or, or, he was, he, he was following the interstate just because yeah. it, the pay, the, the shoulder was easier to run down yeah, than it was going down 290 or some of the narrower trails. Well, that all makes more sense. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I didn't know where you picked him up on the side of the road, but I figured you picked him up on the side of the road. <laughs> well, let me tell you what. He, he said, I take a little side road. He said, I'm coming down 290, and I want to come down Lancaster Hill. Mm. And I said, well, great. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to – and that's that's when I found him at Howard Draw. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I'm going to – I'm going to go back and I'm going to get, tell mom all this information and I'm going to keep you posted. I mean, I'm going to keep you in mind <laughs> where you're at. Cause if you don't get there by dark, I'm going to come look for you. So six Oh six twenty or so I said, I better go find him. Cause he ain't showed up at Sheffield. Mm -hmm. So he was, at, he was at the top. Of, he was just coming to the top of Lancaster when I got up Lancaster Yeah, and, uh, so I said, well, I said, uh, you ain't going to make a Sheffield. You got 10 miles to go, and it's damn near dark, 630. And yeah. he said, no problem. He said, uh, and it had the best attitude in the world. It, you couldn't shake the kid up. So, did you and, to, uh, huh? so that means you gave him a ride. Did you have to take him back to the, that point yes. the next morning? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, but he wasn't, he wasn't dumb. He said, I'm going to leave my buggy at your house. And he said, you, <laughs> he said, you come back, you take me back to where you pick me up and I'll run to your house and pick up my buggy and go on from there. there and I said, I said, I'm going to make life interesting. I'm going to tell Ernest Woodward you're on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Does, so, you got to describe Ernest a little bit to carry. So you understand. Well, we don't have enough time for that. But <laughs> no, we don't. That's another, that's another podcast. Uh, but anyway, this connection between his passion for what he did and how he learned his body and all the things that he did to figure out how to run seven miles an hour, six hours a day, was the same thing as we have to figure out how to learn to operate the pencil and the paper and the drawings to get all the information that we want to portray in a very professional manner. And it's not taking a picture and, and, uh, and, uh, tracing it out. You know, and, and 
endurance is what we're talking about here. And, and uh, it's not hard for any of us to grasp anybody listening to, to grasp the concept of seven miles an hour and 40 miles a day and all that. Like, good gosh, you know, for six hours a day, I, I don't have that endurance, but there's also an endurance to engraving for eight to nine, Amen. 10 hours yeah. a day or, yeah. or and, in drawing. Like Mike, that one of the I hardest think, classes I ever went through was a drawing class with Ron Smith. And we drew all day long for four days. Like they mm -hmm. kicked my ass. That <laughs> is so true. And that's, that's why our endurance and our learning curve is a God given passion yeah. is that we wouldn't do it if we weren't given that passion by God, because there's certain things I'm not going to do. Uh, like run down the road or engrave. You, you remember how long it took me to do my engraving cat class just <laughs> yeah. long enough to stab my first finger and that ended my engraving. <laughs> Bob said, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree hundred percent with what you're saying there, Mike. And you, but of course we look at it through our own filter and I look at my own life experience and stuff and, and it, it doesn't, and I think a lot of people are like this. It's not like I, one day I woke up or I just this way when I was born and I had this passion for this, whatever it is, X, Y, Z. For me, it's been like a, like a train getting started. I only had a rough framework. Mm -hmm. I just had, I, I knew I wanted to be self-employed. I loved the concept of being self-employed. Of course, raised on a farm. I saw my dad. That's that's That was life. That was the template. That was the pattern for me growing up and stuff. And and uh, But this whole idea, I loved leather, but it, it's it's a train that's still picking up speed now in my, in my sixth decade. It's still picking up speed. And I think it is for you too, as you're approaching your the big eight oh here next year. <laughs> yeah. Well that, has that been for you too? Where it, it's not like you yeah you have this rough framework in inside your head and it took years for that to kind of take shape. I I fully agree totally, Carrie, because and I look at it now after 80 years of following this passion and realize just how great that this is created by God in me. And I have taken the individualism of bumping around. Uh, there's a book that I think we all need to read before we start our art adventure. It's a book written by Louis L'Amour. And I know y'all know all about Louis L'Amour and have been around him forever, probably. But he wrote a book called The Art of an Educated Man. And it I is didn't know he wrote that book. I'll write yes. that down. The best, the best book I ever read of his. And I, because of being in the service and being aboard ship, and Louis L'Amour was everywhere when you're aboard ship, I read lots of Louis L'Amour's back in, this is 50 years ago. But uh, I did bump into his, it wasn't his final book, but it was one of his final books called The Art of an Educated Man. And it's truly beautiful because the book is exactly about what we're talking about is to live your art and to bump around until you figure out how to do it mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the passion of it. And it was just great. And then 
he wrote a final book called oh it was a beautiful book i'm horrible with names nowadays but it was a uh, another book about a an american spy that got picked up or chased in russia and but it was a great great book but it all it was really relative to read both of those books and put them together on how he did it and so it and it was an imaginary beautiful adventure and so i thought you know this is how we create a beautiful design on a saddle how we create an engraving on a bridal bed how we create because you don't create those things unless you've been down the road before it don't just pop up it is a long journey of learning the creative cycle of everything from gesture drawing to uh, visual impressions and memory drawing and all kinds of things that, that get involved in this process that I'm, yes, I am. I don't know how old I am, but it's, I'm getting to the point where, to where I'm going, you know, I'm not ready. Good. Um, God, I got, I need a few more years. And so I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the journey and I ain't got a clue how many I got left, but I, it was an inspiration yesterday to realize that that kid had to do quite a few more miles and he had to take care of himself and he know, had to know his body for him to complete that perimeter uh, run around the United States. And he has a beautiful attitude and a wonderful realization of what he's learned about his body the last 5,000 miles. And so I think this is our art journey is we have learned so much. Don't lose it. Don't, don't get rid of it, but let it grow and retain it and let it become, uh, this is where back to Charles Russell and Joe DeYoung. And there was another protege of Charlie Russell's or two, but they didn't have that passion that Russell had to recreate the love of Montana and the West. Mm -hmm. And I think this where that love of a uh, passion, I think is one of the greatest things. I don't, have a label for mine other than cowboy. I have always loved the cowboy. When I was five years old, that was, I said, that, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to ride rope and paint. And that was about five years old. I, I had trouble in school because they threw in chemistry and algebra, but, but uh, I survived them and I moved on. And this is where I think, living on earth is that experience of surviving, learning how to run seven miles an hour all day long and, uh, and knowing our body to where we don't abuse our body so that we can continue this passion that God gave us. You know, one of the things just popped into my head there, and I've been thinking a lot about this. I've said it over and over and over to the, the fellow travelers, I call them. I don't. I have a hard time calling the calling these people students of mine because I think we're all just fellow travelers. We're on different places on that circumnavigating the world, as it were. Uh, but I tell them uh, you need to grip your tools no tighter than is required to control it. And that's a big feature of gesture drawing. You don't have a ham. This is not a ham-handed approach to life. 
And the more I think about it, that's really become a metaphor for a lot of things. You grab, it's just the whole bird in the hand. If you, if you grab it too tight, you kill it. You open your hand, it gets away from you. And that's the way our tools of life are, aren't they? You can't get a death grip on things. So that passion, there has to be a, a break, doesn't there, somehow? In order, as you said a moment ago, to allow this thing to happen, we have to get out of the way. Yep. Amen. And that's where Kyman Nicolaides says, you grab that pencil and you make that pencil form around that or go around that form that's in your head. You have to go, you have to push on it to get it around the leaf and you have to pick it up to get it on top of the leaf. Mm-hmm. Swing so you And you can't, you can't do that if you're gripping it all the same pressure. Swinging a hammer is the same way. Life yeah. Working. If you get a hold and you squeeze, you choke that hammer, going to squeeze that handle in too, because you're really going to hit it. You're not going to hit it. But the, if the hammer's nearly flying out of your hand when you're swinging it, you're going to knock the crap out of whatever it is you're hitting. It's crazy. Well, look at roping. Look at roping and, yeah. fall, and building a loop and, and, and look at a golf club. Mm-hmm. I mean, and a baseball bat. It's amazing about those tools on how uh, if you study golfers, it's very much the same as studying ropers. Mm-hmm. And it gets all connected in a very beautiful manner that just tickles me to no end. Paintbrushes, for sure. I have also some men, some, um, I don't know the title for them, Carrie. Uh, you call them something there. Students, what do you call them? What do you call them? Fellow travelers. They're fellow yeah, yeah, travelers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a a doctor that's a podiatrist from San Angelo. I've got a feed salesman from Ozona. I've got a 13-year-old girl from a, a sheep ranch in uh, Sonora. And I have a tremendous group who shows up and we paint when they have time. And it just has overwhelmed me on how much I've learned from them with this experience. And they had always very gratifying, but I said, I'm learning more than y'all are. Mm-hmm. And I just love that because um, they will say, now, what about this? And what about that? And so I have to delve into those things that I haven't delved into in a couple of days. And I go, oh, yeah, I remember now. And so I, it refreshes me as I refresh them. And, uh, and it is a truly a God-given thing to share, to grow, to perform. And, and it's the same as a dance. I mean, it's beautiful. Well, I've I've said it many times here. uh, I think Americans and those of us in the West and as in Western civilization are starved for hands-on accomplishment. And, uh, that's awesome that you're giving these people from other walks of life an opportunity to do something with their hands and create art. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to do is to give people an opportunity to use their hands to make, make useful and beautiful things. Amen. 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 Because, because it becomes a truly a great reward to being alive and, and well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not 
there's not really many substitutes for that desire to create unless you're creating. You can't, you about have to create to do that, right? I would, I would think to satisfy it and, and, uh, and, and to give people that avenue to, and, and to teach them how to relax and truly create is, is kind of fun, you know, fun for them. Fun, and it's fun for us to, to see them happy and see them moving. And like I said, Pop, it always brings back the fundamentals when we're teaching and it reiterates the fundamentals to ourselves as well. Amen. Yeah. Oh, well, you just had a, you just had a tank redone at the, at the ranch where they rocked all the outside and in, inside a bunch of concrete work. And there's as much artwork involved in that creativity as, as, as anything, you know, the, the, the artist that did that job was a little different than, than what we all do, but just as much skill set involved there as well. Very much so. And because of me getting involved with every artist and then picking their brain on the project and then to allow them to create this art has really been very educational to me. And the tank, now uh, I've got a final step that's going to cost another $20,000. But it's just money. Don't worry about it. Just go get it. <laughs> but it's amazing how that if you get the money and the monetary factor involved and let it get in the way of the creative cycle, it becomes a burden. And this is where I'm very careful uh, to allow God to show me how to make enough money to support this creative cycle. And this tank is turning into a beautiful piece of artwork with all these people involved from rock layers to cement mixers. I mean, and the mescla that they, and I get to, because it's a kind of a bilingual situation, I get to talk in the, the mescla and the cemento and all these other terms, but uh, I love it. And it is truly a gorgeous exercise that's turning the windmill and the tank into a very valuable entity in the property. Yeah. So we better clarify you Texans. I, I pretty good idea what you're talking about a tank, but oh, it's yeah. a, it's a reservoir of water, <laughs> correct? Yeah, very much. So yeah, it's a, it's a 60 foot, a 55 foot cement rock retaining water holder that the windmill pumps directly into, and you go out of this tank into pipelines that is a, a network of, that, of pipelines that goes to water troughs scattered around the property. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it is because the, the windmill only can produce somewhere in the neighborhood, <laughs> of, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of three or four gallons a minute. And uh, so you have to be able to retain that water for future needs. And this mm -hmm. is where the reservoir that can pump day and night out of the windmill into that tank. And you have that reservoir of retaining enough water to water all the livestock. How deep is the well? 540 feet. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> a long way down. How, yeah. deep, how deep are y'all's wells? Here, uh -huh. oh, it's highly variable. Um, ours, our domestic well right here in our place is 320 feet, hmm. but 
we don't sit on an aquifer. I don't know if you guys do or not, but <laughs> up in these mountains and stuff, you just have to hope you hit a fissure <laughs> for a well water. Because uh, I know people have drilled a 800 foot dry hole. Yeah. They just didn't luck get lucky, I guess. So, but. <clears throat> it's for yeah, you were talking earlier about that 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 guy that uh, made me think of the story of the the burro woman. Oh yeah, that you used to see along the the roads and highways of West Texas. She was another example of an extreme passion created by God. Now she had some issues that created that that were earthly issues like she went through a trauma or two that we don't know about that caused mm -hmm. her to escape to the highway but once she found that escape and learned to live with that bureau she was in total bliss in her own world because she could escape the outside world i'm assuming i mean i i didn't ever get her down and squeeze this out of her but I watched her for probably 10 or 15 years go up and down the highway. And I picked her up once or twice, once, uh, and tried to talk to her other times when I'd see her in the bar ditch thinking she might need help. Mm -hmm. But she was an extreme, efficient individual who learned to survive in the most extreme conditions that we can ever imagine. And always everybody goes, why? And... <laughs> And, and this is where I have seen other people who cause me the same, say the same thing over and over and over. Kind of like Paul Cameron showed up here yesterday, looked like Forrest Gump. And I'm realizing that God has created all of these extremes like Charlie Russell. I mean, that, I mean, if to start out in his mannerisms, people are going, you're crazy. You can't make a living doing that. And I've had people tell me the same thing is you can't make a living doing that. Uh, and America is kind of bad about the American dream and money and how you're supposed to get rich and how you're supposed to be famous and all these things, which kind of eliminates the bureau lady and a few of these other people who become famous doing nothing. Uh, poor old Cameron run up down, running down the highway at seven miles an hour. Uh, for four months or six months or whatever it's going to take him to do that. Well, he will have a lot of the experience of the people he's met, much like Louis L'Amour in the art of an education man. And once you read that book, you realize that Louis L'Amour did the same thing. The bureau lady and the kid and, and some of us other Charlie Russell and this idiot, Mike Capron, who seemed, who seemed to think that they know all about it. And so, <laughs> This is where the beauty of living on earth and accepting it as an individual, we get to go places we wouldn't go if we were living the American dream and following what they tell us to do in the fifth grade. So, and, yeah. and I, go ahead. Felipe comes to mind too, Gary, you know? Oh yeah. Do what? Felipe, uh, our, our, Brazilian Canadian friend that got on got on a horse and rode from the Calgary Stampede to the big rodeo in Brazil. Oh okay. yeah. 
took him 900 days, something like that, Shorty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then he, then he took a break and re- realized his trip wasn't done. Then he rode from Brazil on clear down to Tierra del Fuego. Yeah. And all the way yeah. to autumn. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's a very spiritual story, too, Pop, about him and the God and those three horses that he had. I mean, it's, it's very similar to what you're saying. It's just, and now he's monetizing it and doing movies about it and all kinds of cool stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's an inspirational, he's an inspirational speaker talking about this story of riding his horses from yeah, Canada yeah. to Brazil. Because it gives him experience that nobody else is, as, does have. And didn't he, didn't he ride to Alaska too, Kerry? Did he do that or am I dreaming that? No, I, he did. He, for a, a leg of that journey, I, I can't remember exactly how the sequence of that went, whether he went from Alaska to Calgary and then from Calgary down to Brazil. I think uh, that was the first leg. Wasn't that the first leg of it? That's the and, first, uh, Calgary to and Brazil. And then he, he went into a depression after kind of the air went out of him after he got to Brazil and realized he wasn't done, so he finished the you would meeting the guy you would never know he was any any way inclined to depression but anyway interesting stuff yeah (laughs) you know there's another there's another book i I doubt you guys have read it but uh it's it was a bestseller back in the 70s i think it was published in 1974 robert persig p-i-r-s-i-g Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. You ever heard of that one? <laughs> no. Look at Pop. That's not something that Charlie Russell would have read. But, oh, that's... No. but it's the same stuff. It's it's a story of this guy uh, traveling across the country and he had to take care of his motorcycle. He'd make sure the uh, everything was just all running right and had his son with him and I I don't know. It's been a while since I read the book, but it's all the same stuff. Yeah. You know, they're on a journey. They've got to got to figure things out. They got to be able to course correct. That's a biggie mm-hmm. uh, that I think a lot of us are not very nimble. We we have a hard time when it comes to course correcting, and uh, when things ain't going right, you know, probably you're standing in your own way more often than not. And uh, how do we course correct? Yeah. I think that's that. This is a beautiful piece of education right there, Kerry. Because here lately, um, I have um, I have found another mode of operandi on solving problem on problem solving, um, and I like to. I'm working on a painting right now that I have dealt with through the years on and off because of money and, and I haven't ever finished it, but it's a painting for an art show and it is a, and it it goes back to the storyline. You got to have a good storyline. You got to have a good message or don't do it. But uh, I figured out the storyline. I figured out the message. I figured out the subject, but I never got all the details ironed out. And the details are where, like in your work, if your details are incorrect, it ain't going to fly. And same with Wilson. If he doesn't get all of his leads and all his stems just right, it ain't going to fly. 
And so this is where a painting is the same way as the structure and the composition and the details of the horses and the men and all of this. If it ain't right, then it ain't going to fly. Well, there's a lot of details on this. I don't have the reference material to emulate it or to copy it or to uh, do it. So I kind of have uh, that iffy what am I, what's this supposed to look like? How am I going to do this? So I kind of leave it with that question. I mean, I leave, what I do is I work on it and then I leave it. And I can't believe when I come back to it, how the answer is right there on the canvas. And that is kind of like, I drive two Dodge first generation trucks for only one reason is because they work. They're not expensive, but, you have to work on it. It's kind of like your motorcycle, man. If you have, but you have to have this mode of transportation, but it is almost a mind of its own. It quits running. And this, these Dodge pickups are that way. And that mm -hmm. I'm going, well, it's what's wrong with it now. And, and I, sometimes I can't figure it out. So I leave it. And when I come back to it in that length of time, I've said a few <laughs> prayers kind of beat myself on the head a little bit. And the answer is there. Maybe not the exact answer, but it'll be, why don't you take it down to old so-and-so? He might be able to help you. And lo and behold, he's the, he's the answer. And so I, this I is. Gonna, I was going to say, we need to clarify something real quick right there, Pop. Uh, we don't okay. want to give folks the wrong impression that you're a mechanic. Amen. Amen. Because <laughs> yeah. you are not. Hey, no, no, no. Everybody, everybody <laughs> knows that whatever you do, don't let Mike touch it. Mm -mm. No. And so, but so when he leaves it, he's just leaving to see who's going to show up to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> fix it while he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it is a process that I don't have the answers, but I'm amazed how the answers come if you don't fight it and you let it set and pray a little bit and lo and behold it don't fix itself but the answer of how to get it fixed does show up and a painting um i'm working on a painting right now and i don't want to get into that because it's too much uh another subject but there'll be some things that like the folds of a dress or the folds of a, a drapery and i can't see it i go now why can't i see that what's going on it's just darks and lights, and I'll leave it, come back the next morning, and go, oh, yeah, I see it, I see it, I see it. And I don't know where that comes from, but it is there. Draper <clears> and draper Yeah. Yeah, draper. It's like, it's like folding of leaves, and, and y'all deal with that constantly on how leaves will fold around. They're not flat. Mm -mm. And so <clears throat> you've got to fold those leaves around the stems and that's where drapery of a dress or shirt on a man. Um, you can, if you follow the anatomy and you know the anatomy, uh, then you're, you're off on the right track. And uh, of course, another great example of that is Michelangelo and working in marble. See the one working that, is that in the kind that there's one in the kind of Nicolaitis book that is in marble where they they did the it's a study of drapery but it was 
I don't remember what what the figure was, but it's in that's a picture of it in Kaiman's book, and it's an incredible study of drapery. They're in a white sheet or something in marble draped. Yeah, I can't remember, but okay. that was that's, that was a very strong subject studied in the in the. Uh, I got it right here. Uh, they ha everybody had to study drapery and anatomy. And so they had the cadavers and they studied the cadavers, tore them completely apart, studying them, knew them inside and out. And then they would take drapery <clears throat> and do it. And it just, and I, I have not the interest to do drapery. <laughs> and it just blows me. It's, it's, I do it, but I, I fumble through it and, and uh, don't do a good job of it. You know, your, your journey there, what, what made me think of uh, a little phrase to coin a term perhaps is it's almost like you're trying, you're courting the muse. You're courting it. You have to, you can't, there's no forcing the issue. You have right. to kind of court it. You have to kind of, yeah. you have to listen to it and then, then you have to step away from it and then come back to it and, that's almost okay. like a courting process and this muse, this creativity, this problem solving activity, whatever you want to call it is uh, it takes place if you allow it, but exactly. if you force it, then eh, not so much. And I think what, what the three of us have in common is we are tuned in to that muse. We we're dialed into it. When it speaks, we listen, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> And and who knows what? And it comes down to the God thing. I think it. Where does it come from? I don't know. No, There's yeah. a context there. You know, we all live within our our worldview, our context, our life experience, and what we've learned, what we've unlearned, all of that kind of thing. But uh, it's it's kind of dialing into those those that all that information flowing through our brain and and not and some of those ideas, of course, are not worth hanging on to. <laughs> most of them probably but that's where the course correction comes in and that's where the gesture drawing becomes a metaphor for life you've got a whole bunch of lines down here which is life it's chaos it's 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 doesn't make sense but then you you kind of engage the activity and then you start owning some of these lines and yeah. <laughs> and discarding some of the other ones in the same courting process if you will with with pencil on paper you know, general Amen. Direction, a general direction in the way you go yep did you find that drawing wilson i did yeah. it, it was a wood carving ah. it, it was a, a saint madeline or something like that ah yeah, ah. yeah. i wasn't familiar with it so yeah no, that's it, all it, well if you just really want to get impressed about art just go look at michelangelo's david in marble oh, man yeah and and it's in marble there's no erasers <laughs> there's, there's no there's no glue involved he can't put back what he chipped off and yeah. uh and it's just and of course the and i'm not real sure to get how to say this but the pieta and the virgin mary and and christ on her lap is even one step greater because there's much more folding of the drapery in that sculpture. And I have looked at that for ever since art school. 
when they said, you think you're an artist, you look at this and try and recreate this. We're going to let you try and redo this. I don't care if you want to do it. Pencil, paper, wood, clay. Uh, you have to accept the fact that this is tough. This is hard. And that's one of the most difficult things right there for me to recreate something, right? Like the, 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 the art teacher says, recreate this drapery that Michelangelo did it. That kicks my tail. Cause that's where, that's where that, that concept of contour drawing comes in <laughs> with lightings. Contour drawing is about copying, recreating. Mm -hmm. And, and that is a, an explicit hand and eye contact thing that uh, I think you have to be aware of and accept as an artist, much like gesture drawing. Yeah. Some folks are great at it, you know, man, they can just, they, 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 which they can't create on their own, right. To do a, to do a gesture drawing would just kick their butt, but, but to, to recreate a contour design yeah. is no problem. Those, 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 uh, caricature artists the illustrate the illu not illustrator the uh what am i trying to say the people that draw faces in the in the amusement parks you know the oh, yeah. sit there and in 10 minutes redraw somebody you're like holy mm -hmm. cow they nail it mm -hmm. well certainly is another concept of the recreative uh, uh genre of how to learn to paint and draw Mm -hmm. uh, or carve or use your hands and and in that it is all part of a procedure of gesture drawing contour drawing um all these different things of model drawing the model drawing is just as important as contour mm -hmm. and gesture and model drawing just I, I, I that's the most boring thing i ever did <laughs> <laughs> which is which is where i'm at right now sculpting the leaves on this yeah, you know, it's just and you have, if that model drawing is just ugly. It's just <laughs> ugly. <laughs> you know, I, I think one of the base levels of what we're talking about right here is developing skills of observation. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. said it a moment ago, you're, you know, it, it couldn't see the folds somehow. You just couldn't see the folds of this drapery, of this dress, whatever. And you had to give it a rest, come back. And then you, what do you say? You saw it. Yeah. That's yeah. developing skills of observation. And, and that's, isn't that kind of pretty much ground zero when it comes to art and recreating representational kind of art, like what we do. There's, you always said there's a difference between looking and seeing, learning yep. how to see. Mm -hmm. Yep. Huge. And what I found is, is when you develop the, just like photographers are always looking at con uh, just like you are in painting, you're looking at light um, uh, composition, all of those kind of things. You develop an eye for it. When you develop an eye for one, one form of skill of observation, you it it spills over into other areas of your life too. You start seeing things that you didn't see before in other ways. So my art teacher, of years ago uh was trying to instill some of these things in me and i would tell her, i said but i don't like that mr and she said you don't know what you like you haven't learned to see yet 
And that yeah. is so true. Yeah, well, that's so true because now I like those things that she was trying to teach me how to see. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I have some other things that uh, 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 you got distracted. Uh, well, I have I'm, I'm getting high tech. I have several instruments working here. <laughs> Text messages coming. Well, I had several projects going this morning, and it goes back to my tank uh, lining and some things like that. So it was fun to to be on top of everything. Well, we sure didn't get off into many horse training stories, catching yeah, wild cow stories. I was say, have we talked about cowboy stories we yet? We didn't <laughs> talk about the first cowboy story. I guess we'll have to save it for next time. That just means we'll get to do it again yeah you do have lots of i mean as you just we'll tease the next one but as as you as you were five years old and want to grow up and be a cowboy you know you you subjected yourself to some incredible cowboys shortly after yeah. high school and from james well, Kenny to all throughout that's what i was fixing to ask you is to you can get off in what we call cowboy stories and wow you can go from humans to animals to landscape to business to many different things that involve cows, horses, and men. Yeah. And it and it is very interesting to me, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it my whole life of pursuing <laughs> these things of humans, horses, cows, landscape. I, I think we could talk two or three sessions about some of the most beautiful spots in Texas that you get subjected to that are just truly magnificent uh, and stories to behold about some of the most beautiful spots in my Texas, just where I've been in West Texas or in Texas period. Um, but- and is anybody that's driven from El Paso to San Antonio and from, but you know, the first five hours of it is, uh, it, it's the interstate's not the most scenic place in the world, but all those places that you're talking about are shortly there off the interstate, right? I mean, oh, yeah. the, 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 the scenery of West Texas and the, the Chihuahuan desert can be absolutely beautiful, but um, you have to get out there and live in it in order to, to see it. And well, it's amazing how all of us get stuck in our grind mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that because that's living on earth. But um, trying to think back on a situation, take this, for example, we lived in a certain part of the Texas that had the tallest peak in Texas and had one and was close to New Mexico to Carlsbad Caverns. Mm-hmm. I never took you kids to the top of Guadalupe Peak or to Carlsbad Caverns. I've been to Carlsbad Caverns. Yeah, I've been to Carlsbad Caverns a bunch, but. Climbing the peak was a little bit like that, putting his shorts on and running. We didn't climb to the peak. I still have Liz has. <laughs> My sister Liz, she's an old papa, and she went up there and did it herself. But I just stayed down below the pop. I ain't climbed the peak yet. And I should, but I don't know. I mean. Well, I, these are the things that life can deal you that's so beautiful. They're right there in touch. Yeah. But you have to go touch them. Yeah. And, and I'm not regretting that. 
But there are some places that I accidentally bumped into that I think are just truly yeah. uh, a blessing, like going to the top of Shinati. Yeah, Shinati or Livermore. We went to Livermore, too. Those, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. number two and number three in the state, right? In Shinati, may not yeah. be number three. Yeah. That's right there close. And, but, and they were accidents on how I got stuck on Livermore and how I got stuck on Shinati. But both of them made my mouth drop wide open. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's just a place that uh, it's a story in itself on how we got there and what we were doing. And and uh, and then, of course, the old men of Shinati were just as amazing to me because they said, oh, don't go up there. That's where the devil lives. Mm -hmm. And after I'd been up there half a dozen times, I told him, I said, I didn't see him, but he lives up there. <laughs> I promise you. He sent me up there. He sent me up there by myself with another man that guided me up there the first time, Shorty. Remember that? I went with Severo. Yeah. Severo yes. Yeah. Severiano. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. And, well. And, and I mean, how many places in Texas could you go where you'd see a mountain lion? Oh, yeah. I mean, just to go see a mountain lion is, I mean, I've been my whole life. And the only ones I've seen are on Shinati. Well, I didn't see one, but I smelt him and tasted him. I and you saw Edwin, didn't you? Yeah. Didn't you? Yeah. He, he showed me that he had shot, yeah, on the yeah. trail. Yeah, on the trail there, yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of unusual, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll do it again. You got lots of wild horse stories, too. You you picked up a lot of horses and a lot of men on the on the streets, kind of like your guy running around the world. <laughs> there's lots of there's lots and of hitchhikers and horses. You picked up I'm horses right. the same way. Problem horses and problem men showed up at our house a lot. <laughs> <laughs> sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. But well, they were cheap. Yeah, we were cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't cost much to get. Some of those, some of those horses at my house, uh, and that is a wonderful subject right there, of individuals, horses and men, and trying to uh, trying to make I don't know how to say it, trying to make sense out of it, of why you would mess with some horses, and I have been an, an extreme when it comes to dealing with extreme animals. I love extreme animals. And an old man told me one time, he said, if you will always breed your toughest female to your toughest male, you'll end up with some very tough individuals, a tough litter or a tough colt. And it is amazing how we pass that heritage on. Yeah. Some of them worked out and some of them, well, they all work out, but kind of in different ways. Yeah. They were all educational. Some of them are bad. <laughs> some of them not too good. And some of them were <coughs> a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, and then I was picking your brain, trying to prepare myself for the next opportunity to share some of those uh, we'll, interests. We'll, we'll, you know, when we do it again, we'll talk about the horse diamond spook 
Carmelo, different horses. Some, but then there's ones like, like Mitch, you know, son of Mitch that were, wasn't a problem child, just an incredible individual, you know. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and, and and discuss individuals like James Kenny and Jim Calvert. Oh you know, yeah, they're, they're all educational. Strong men. Yeah, very strong men, capable men that that uh, that accomplished a lot in life, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. We should probably all go to work. We've been here over an hour, I think. Yeah, we better better land this plane, huh? Yeah, Pop's gotta go. He's gotta go. He's gotta go <laughs> tank build. Anyhow, thanks, Pop. Thanks for joining us again, telling the stories. Thank you, thank you, thank y'all. Such a joy, and it is a pleasure to be involved in in daily living. Absolutely. Thanks, Schwartzy. See you soon. All right. Take care, everybody.